0: vampires who pretend
1: to be humans pretending to be
0: vampires oh my god hi i'm madeline and i'm a writer and a cultural critic
1: and i'm dave i'm a comedian and proud sag aftra actor and actually i i don't feel the need to keep saying that anymore because i don't know if you heard as but of last SAG, night yeah as of as of today that we're recording, the work okay. stoppage is done. We can talk all about the movies we want to see. A temporary agreement has been reached, so uh, I'll no longer be proud of being sag After I'll just shut up about it. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to Genre Reveal Party. Here's where we talk about movie and TV. Movie, we talk about one movie. We talk about TV and movies through the lens of there genre. There you go. Its definition, its limits, what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the movie. It's season two called We Don't Need Another Hero. And today we're talking about Interview with the Vampire, Neil Jordan's 1994 adaptation of Anne Rice's 1976 novel. I didn't know it was published that that long before the movie. Yeah. Anyway, it's starring Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kirsten Dunst, Antonio Banderas, and christian slater
0: yes so um and stephen ray i should say
1: who i didn't recognize like i don't know stephen ray
0: well within the context of this film it's important to note he was the star of the crying game which was neil jordan's movie right before this and the reason why neil jordan was hired to to film it
1: um oh yeah. Okay. So,
0: and he plays what Santiago? The yes, like, exactly. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. The kind of like Fred Astaire vampire. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Totally. <laughs> okay. So I suggested this film. Um, and I did it for a couple of reasons. One is just that I think it's a great, you know, story of heroes and not quite heroes, not quite villains right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. He meditates on this theme, although I was thinking it would have been a great film for last season on the family mm-hmm. because yeah. um because of the way that lestat and louis like create a family a weird family with 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 claudia um but the other thing is i've just been i'm interested in the way it positions these like male sex symbols um as vampires and i've been yeah. meaning to i've been flirting with this idea of writing an essay about it for a long time um and i just haven't done that so that's part of why write like, an let's... <laughs> essay when you
1: can record a podcast
0: i know i'm afraid i'm cutting corners like that um right now but maybe it'll still happen maybe this will yeah. inspire me um Obviously, not an urgent matter. <laughs> <laughs> People so, aren't banging down your door for the interview with the vampire piece. Yeah, it did feel a bit. There was a moment where it was feeling. It, it felt prescient because of the ways that, like, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were being recast in the moment of, of Me Too or something like that. Mm-hmm, though, right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And they're kind of predatory, monstrous side was was more um apparent right but i think that's what i was interested in the movie is that it already kind of understands that allure of the male leading man hollywood sex symbol Um, yes
1: yeah totally well if if it came out in 94 Mm -hmm. the thing that everyone does with old things is you just figure out the closest the anniversary of closest five year anniversary. You'll have the 30th anniversary next year. So maybe that's your in to be like 30 years of interview with the vampire. Great.
0: Great. We'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, I still have a year or really just (laughs) a few months. Okay. Not going (laughs) to worry about it. Okay. So this film is a kind of pretty reasonably faithful adaptation of the novel, the 1976, um, And Rice novel that was her first novel of, you know, I wish I actually found out how many she wrote, but so many, um, vampire novels after that, um, and her son, right. The whole vampire industry they started. Um, and I don't know, I'm going to do like a very, very simple sketch of the plot before we get into the discussion. If, if. Anyone doesn't know about it, but it's very simple. A young man sits down to interview a vampire um, who tells him his life story or, yeah, post life, eternal life story um, over the course of one night in the film. And the vampire is Louis, played by Pitt, and he was turned into a vampire in 1791 by Lestat, who's played by Cruz. There's also Claudia, the young girl, who um, who Louis, kind of in this moment of desperation, feeds off of, and then Lestat makes into vampire for him. Mm-hmm. Um, when Louis is first found by Lestat, he's in this kind of moment of self-destruction, like a, a prolonged moment of self-destruction after his right, wife has right. died in childbirth, and... So, this promise of a family is gone, and he's kind of just lost, and um, Lestat comes to, you know, in his mind, save him from this, like, give him this gift, you know, I think, of right. of, of vampire. The um, dark gift. The dark gift, yeah. So, it, uh, what else do I need to say about it, really? Armand? That they go to, they kind of kill Lestat at various points? Claudia grows angry because she's a child. She's trapped in a child's body, right? And when she finds out that Lestat has done this to her, made her a vampire, an immortal, um, she sets out to kill Lestat. Um, She makes two attempts, and the last attempt, like... They flee, they go to Paris, uh, they're in New Orleans, they get on a, a ship, where a mysterious plague, um, to which only, mm-hmm. uh, Louis and Claudia, um, are immune, kind of takes over the ship. Um, then they get to Paris, and that's in 1790, and they, or 17, no wait, what year is it? No, 1898. Why did I say 1791? Um, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a full century into his vampiricism. And he encounters the oldest vampire, um, Armand, who's 400. Um, and he has this kind of vampire cult, like underground catacomb cult that, um, yes. the theater of vampires. And he wants Louis to kind of become his life partner in a mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. subtle, <laughs> <laughs> right, right 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 way yeah totally um and so then he um sets out to kill Claudia in return right um who is his life partner um yeah and and succeeds and succeeds and then Louis is kind of lost in grief he's become completely vampire at that point he, he believes yeah so. yeah um the last bit of human has, has left him. So yeah, when we encounter him, he wants to just tell his life story. Uh, And the
1: journalist after hearing all of it is like, yo, make me a vampire. Mm -hmm. And Louis's like, no, I don't think so. And he like runs away and he chases after him in the car. And then out of nowhere, Lestat's like, I guess I need no introduction ah, and like bites him. And that's the end of the movie in, in the car driving across the golden, the gate, golden bridge, gate bridge. Or, yeah. 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 Did you expect that? Um, you know what, if I had been, hope is really good about like knowing those sorts of narrative twists ahead of time. Uh-huh. And if I had been thinking along those lines, I probably could have gone that way. But, but to be honest, no, I did not expect yeah. that. Uh, to the point where we can talk about it, but it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere to me. Where it was just like, "This is the pr- this should be the ending, right? Okay, it's the ending. Roll credits." Yeah. Um, <sighs> but yeah, let's uh,
0: let's chat. Let's chat.
1: So, wh- where do, what do you want to hit first?
0: I mean, speaking of that ending, if you're gonna use. Um Sympathy for the Devil as your um, mm-hmm. as your closing credits song. Why do the Guns N' Roses version? Work?
1: I know, dude. Ugh. I was like I was hearing the talking. It it sound it sounds like Rose. Guns N' Roses just recorded a track over the Rolling Stones version. I know. It's it not a good cover. Horrible. It's
0: yeah. Yeah. But I was thinking about Axl Rose as a great like another like constellation point in this <laughs> a vampire character yeah.
1: or just a okay. toxic masculine character
0: toxic long-haired yeah, 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. sex symbol <laughs> maybe uh-huh. the, that maybe that's the gut punch that neil jordan was looking for I and mean, i found this i'm gonna just start with that i i was actually watching right before we got on the the call um an interview with Neil Jordan Mm. and he was, and this was from the time, but he said, my feeling having cast both Brad and Tom was basically in a strange way. The world of a vampire is not that different from a massive Hollywood star. You're keeping, you're kept from the daylight. You live in a strange kind of seclusion. Every time you emerge, a ripple runs through people. The way Anne described them, the book was like that. Lestat would enter a room and it was like an invisible stone had dropped into a pool. Um,
1: That's good shit.
0: I found that was really compelling and the casting of both of them, Anne Rice was initially like really against. She really didn't want she thought they would ruin these characters and she That's also so suggested like when she was negotiating she suggested that they swap roles so i was kind of curious what you thought about (laughs) i well it's interesting because i thought tom cruise Mm
1: -hmm. and i wrote this in my letterbox review follow me on letterbox dave Marr. uh (laughs) is i that that i felt like he was perfectly cast as a like short-tempered control freak obsessed with youth I'm like that is Tom Cruise, right? And like, I know. I don't. I I actually think he's like, you you know, the like hairpin turns of anger. Like, I think Cruise is is the best acting performance in this movie. Kirsten Dunst is like, is is pretty good as well. Brad Pitt. I I thought was, you know,
0: she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Let's not even compare them. It's an amazing child. I mean, one of the best child performances ever. Right. But it's just, I mean, we shouldn't compare after,
1: these. After um, Fatal Attraction, the kid in Fatal Attraction, who <laughs> I loved and Jasmine.
0: What's that, kid?
1: that kid's name? Beth. I fr- Beth. It's Beth. Oh, right. okay. Yeah. So that that sounds right. Name? Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't know. But but I, I thought Brad Pitt was pretty bad. Except, oh, yeah. that, except that the main thing about Louis is that he's beautiful. So Brad Pitt gets away with being bad because he is beautiful, but in yeah. terms of like, and and it's a tough part because you're you have to play this. There was just so much depression in this movie for mm-hmm. me, like the the idea of like sort of flatness, the idea of like of of a vivid life versus a sort of black and white life, mm. you know. And Louis has to be kind of. In that depression stage for much of the movie, but I still thought, I don't know, I, I just thought Cruz like portrayed his, his character uh, a lot better. And there, there were like moments of real menace there mm-hmm. and real, like when he gets angry at Louis for like only wanting to be eat rats Mm-hmm. He's, like, really angry, you know? And I actually looked up Tom Cruise's filmography to be like, yeah. where is this in the – you, do you have a sense of, of what that is?
0: I mean, just having gr- grown up at the time. I don't right. – I didn't look at it before, but I'm like, this seems to be right after something like The Firm, right? That is so funny. And That's right right the one before- right before – Right before the Jerry Maguire moment hits.
1: You fucking nailed it, dude. 93 is The Firm. 96 yes. is his Jerry Maguire Mission Impossible. Year. Mission Impossible. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then he goes to, I've never seen Without Limits, but then 99 is Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia. Yeah. And I feel like that's when he gets like kind of an artier reputation. Like that Magnolia performance is so yeah impressive. But before this, the the ones that I recognize are like, it's kind of split. I mean, there's the super young one where he's in like the outsiders and risky business oh, yeah. and all that stuff. But then top gun rain, man born on the 4th of July days of thunder, a few good mm-hmm. men. They're like kind of mm-hmm. split between like sporty movies. Yeah. And these likes like a few good men. It's like, okay, he's like grown out of this young man into being like, Oh, this is like one of our new dudes. So I feel like, mm-hmm. Yeah, It was interesting to know that this, I mean, it does kind of feel like a tipping point, like the movie right before Jerry Maguire, that it's definitely a tipping point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what, I don't really know how to describe the, the Jerry Maguire moment within his filmography. I haven't really thought much about it. I've, I've more been thinking about, I listened to Karina Longworth's um, final episode of her erotic nineties. Mm. Um uh season of uh you must Remem- remember this and uh she ends with eyes wide shut predictably but um okay yeah yeah his relationship with kubrick is very fascinating he also had a real sense early on to pair him s- to like go for these great directors um yes and he i think he he had a a lot of trust in neil jordan i just watched him um i have because we're going to do a Scorsese movie soon. I've been watching a few Scorsese movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched The Color of Money and I hadn't seen a Tom Cruise movie in a very long time. And I was thinking similar thoughts in this film and that just it's always just a matter of casting. Like he can be pitch perfect in, yeah. in, I would say Magnolia is the same thing where you need him to be playing a version of tom cruise you know
1: yeah a larger than life sort of situation totally
0: and the color of money is great because um yeah he's a young cocky kid who wants to one-up paul newman Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. roll with it you know right and i think that um it was interesting to just kind of hear neil jordan's like insight into like how he was gonna tap into Tom Cruise's persona to get to Lestat. And yeah. he also was calling in the in that interview, he was describing both Pitt and and Cruz as condemned to be eternally youthful, you know? And um that state of like condemnation, you know, mm-hmm, being where mm-hmm. both of them were coming from. I guess that Brad Pitt was really incredibly depressed throughout the filming of this Of this movie.
1: Um, And. Like over anything in particular that you
0: found? I don't know. I mean, I think maybe it is like this moment in his career. See, I'm less familiar with his, I think this is like right after maybe legends of the fall or something like that, but he's kind of more in a rising moment. And Cruz has been there for like a decade. Right. 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 In the, in the early nineties. So I think he might've been just, getting used to this celebrity status or something like that. But I mean, he doesn't seem like a very emotionally stable dude to be honest in general, but I think <laughs> he, that he has feels that like kind just of melancholia. Like a hidden... Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of melancholia in his, in his portrait of Louis, And that was one of the things I, I read a few reviews and I usually don't like Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, but he mm. said, um, he he mostly liked the movie but he said the the major failing um was that he said for all its vision excuse me for all its visionary brilliance the movie version of interview with the vampire never lets us close enough to see ourselves in louis and i think that's actually mm. really right there's something still a little off about Brad Pitt and maybe that's the problem with casting this like statue of david kind of <laughs> <laughs> guy right right well could it Maybe have been a casting issue do you th- who who could have been instead i'm thinking something like an ethan hawk or something like that would be interesting mm, or yeah
1: yeah you know what yeah. i mean i can see that yeah the, but ethan hawk and tom cruise in a vampire movie have a slightly too similar energy
0: i agree i, I agree
1: but so I don't know. I looked at Brad I'm looking at Brad's Pit Brad Pitts filmography. Mm-hmm. This is 92 is a river runs through it. Okay. Um then uh he has that amazing bit part in True Romance in 93. Mm-hmm. Then 94 is this and Legends of the Fall. And then you get 95 Seven and 12 Monkeys. So he gets to start being yeah. weirder. But 99 is Fight Club. Um Right. So yeah, he he's he's like transitioning from these like yeah kind of blank canvas romantic movies mm-hmm. into something a little edgier.
0: Yeah, but he yeah he was discovered in Thelma and Louise, right? Right, so, right, right, right. And that's he,
1: that's ninety one. Yeah.
0: And so there's always this element of danger. So in that he he um, robs them. Like he has sex all night with Gina Davis and then robs them. Okay. Of all of the all of the money that they've managed to get, so that they can go to Mexico, right, um, right, right, right. So he, I mean, he's definitely a horrible <laughs> character in that movie. <laughs> um, and I think that yeah, his sexiness and things like that make him like untrustworthy. Or there's something something that film captures about him that he has to subdue in some way in in this movie. Um,
1: Which then I'm like, well, that that feels like it's good for the movie because the whole movie mm-hmm. he's like subduing his vampire nature, you know. Right. So I like
0: I go back and it's forth a much more on. subtle part than Lestat. Lestat is it's, the peacock.
1: It's subtle, and it's I'm mixed on the performance. There are elements of it that he really nails, elements of it that just didn't connect as much mm-hmm. with me. Yeah,
0: um, I don't know. I never really like Brad Pitt performances at all.
1: You know, he's picked, he's picked such good movies in some, you know, that like, I didn't realize that I don't have a super huge affinity for many of his performances. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't even know if going back at the movies, like, if I would, I was never like the biggest Fight Club fan, but I don't know if I would like Fight Club now the way, you know, and I did like it.
0: He when did. I first of course saw it. He did
1: stuff like that you know dorm
0: room poster
1: yeah i didn't have the dorm room poster but that was definitely the era of of that the Fight Club. yeah
0: <laughs> i i think that he often has like really great moments in movies um, mm-hmm. he can s- steal a scene but it's often his characters are just so flat so he works pretty well in say once upon a time in Hollywood where he's just this alcoholic with this dark past that never fully comes
1: mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I'm
0: sorry. This leaf blower situation is terrible.
1: You're very, this is a very Mark Marin situation right now.
0: Yeah, it is actually. Sorry about that.
1: Don't be sorry. Um, but I think he, it, it's funny when I'm like, what are good Brad Pitt performances? For whatever reason, the two that are rising to the top to me are Inglorious Bastards and uh Burn After Reading, which is a way slapsticky performance. Yeah.
0: Burn after and reading is one of
1: my favorites. He and that's where he's really playing with like a star persona, you know? Like, yeah. It's like Brad Pitt is this goofy motherfucker in this movie, you know? Yeah. Um and Inglorious Bastards, he just kind of like fits that world It is like is able to kind of blend in as this uh you know army officer mm-hmm. yeah just generally projecting authority
0: i guess so yeah but i just the, none of these are dimensional characters mm-hmm, right you just mm-hmm. can't do that and so i think that the the task of louis is just especially at this point for brad pitt it's just way too much, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who would have done a better job, but I do think Ethan Hawke would have. I mean, he's a, he's doing Shakespeare in the mid-90s, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would try to... I, I could think of somebody else. I mean, it's a fun little game, but... Yeah. Um but the other ben thing that's Stiller. interesting about oh my god, Ben Stiller. With that does that work? I'm like Ben Stiller doesn't
1: project enough like beauty, right? Even though he's like a good looking person, but yeah. I'm trying to think of other because I'm Why thinking did of, you
0: think of Ben Stiller? I really I'll like... tell you.
1: I you know what? It probably was a reality bites connection in yeah, my mind to that's Ethan. That's what Hawk, I was just wondering. But it's yeah. really like this movie, even though it's not uh, very little of it is set in modern day uh, as it, when it comes out, but it feels so nineties to me. Like Mm. it feels like a very nineties movie specifically in the way that it is gay. Um, like I I kind of was amazed at how, um, and I was kind of primed because I never finished it, but I started the more recent TV series version of this. Which I haven't
0: seen to be, to be clear.
1: It's, enjoyable you know i didn't finish it so it wasn't like you know compelling me to watch more and more but i i watched this movie and my i my thought immediately went back to the 90s when growing up you know suburban conservative evangelical the thing about being like one of the top things about being gay is a as you said san francisco just like San Francisco is teeming with gay people, and that's, B, set, that's where
0: it's set in the beginning. Right in the end, it's bookended. The, the present day is set in San Francisco. Yeah.
1: yeah, and then B, the earring rule. Do you remember the earring rule from the '90s? The left is right, and right is wrong. Shit? I mean, it's it's not just the '90s. That, is that really? But but I feel like it's. I, I mean, I see gay yeah. gay guys. That's with,
0: when you learned about it. Like, ear, it's like yeah. when we talked about the the hanky thing and
1: <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's it's like if you, up, ear, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an earring in your left ear. Yeah, exactly. If you have an earring in your left ear, you could you could be straight. But if you had an earring in your right ear, that was a signal that but just the insanity of like left is r- right and right is wrong, like morally wrong is just like It and I was so surprised that this movie came out in the '90s because I'm like, man, I didn't realize that mainstream culture was this. It's not subtle. Was this open with its, you know, homoerotic media? Well,
0: that was what I was going to talk about a a little bit more with the casting. Maybe all I want to talk about is casting because it's so (laughs) such an interesting. uh, Sure topic with this. But um Anne Rice, like she wrote the the screenplay and I don't know how many years after the novel came out that she sold the rights, but it was for a very long time that they were trying to figure out how to make this movie, at least a decade. Mm. Okay. Um and at some point there was the thought to heterosexualize Lestat and Louis. Oh. And in part because she was anticipating like homophobia mm-hmm. and didn't trust Hollywood um, to, to handle their relationship well. And so she, one of the, one of the, this wasn't her idea. David Geffen was like the producer of the film and he mm-hmm. wanted to have Cher play, I think, Lestat.
1: Whoa! Okay, interesting. <laughs> See, it, and not for the sexuality of it, but just for the the share the, of the it, the uniqueness of that. That's very fucking interesting. I like I that.
0: Yeah. And then um, Angelica Houston was at some point going to play one of the one of the vampires. Mm. Um, maybe one of the vampires, like maybe Armand. You know, okay. I don't think. Uh, I don't think Louis Arlestat. and then also. More towards um, the time when the actual casting happened, John Travolta was, um, you know, in talk of playing Lestat. Right, Wouldn't
1: right. Would that
0: have been weird?
1: Very weird. Yeah, I Especially actually would because... have accepted
0: him as Armand. He would have been an oh, as Armand.
1: Armand. I was thinking Louis. I think Tra- oh, Travolta yeah? as Louis. Because he, you know, at that at that age, she was like younger and prettier, and that
0: is the same year as Pulp Fiction. This this film is the same mm, year as Pulp Fiction.
1: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's really it's really weird to. Uh, it, it's a fun game to play. With this <laughs> it
0: stuff. is kind of um, not so fun. Is that River Phoenix was going to play the Christian Slater mm-hmm. character, and he died a few weeks before, so that was a, that was the last. Casting. Yeah. I think that
1: uh, to me, that is the, there's a lot of things about this movie. And it was the same with the TV show that are just so clearly from a book. Like, mm. it, it's like, this is very novelistic as opposed to filmic. Like, yeah, there's just, there's just jumps in motivation. There's jumps mm. in, uh, you, you know, like almost right away, as soon as he's bitten, Louie, Louie, hates being a vampire. And I'm like, I see how that could happen slowly over the course of even, even just a couple chapters in a novel, but the Mm -hmm. time you have to abbreviate in a movie, it just, I I started to accept it, but it felt uh, jumpy to me. It felt jumpy. And and then the framing of this interview. Yes. It just feels it. I, I mean, it is an interesting I, I love a frame. I love there's yeah. other uh relationships to Frankenstein that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but like Frankenstein's like three frames at the beginning of Frankenstein, yeah. Uh, that kind of shit is cool, but it's it's not particularly dynamic. Um mm. in and, and in fact, I actually think it's more dynamic in the TV show. Um Did Eric, they
0: have the interview? Yeah. Did they maintain that? Okay. Good. Well,
1: so it's like so what it is is the the difference to the interview is Eric Bogosian pr- plays the Christian Slater character, and he's yeah. being he's he's called back by Louis to finish what they had started. So it's like, oh, okay. we started writing this, and there's more. And they take breaks, so it cuts back to the interview more. And there is menace in the interview. It's like, why has he invited him here? Whereas in this, it feels very like – it's like, oh, you needed an excuse to have voiceover or something.
0: What? Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. Have You re- You haven't read the novel, I guess. I haven't read the novel, but w- yeah. yeah. So Tell I had me, read I mean, the novel before I saw the movie, which I guess – i I'm usually. Not, I usually try not to weigh in on these things because I think adaptation sure. across media is very is very complicated, right? Yeah. So I don't try to compare them. But I actually really think it's very complimentary to to the novel and um, faithful in the in the right kind of way. Like I I appreciate the way it uses the, the framing devices um, moves between these different like time periods. I appreciate the way it feels so sweeping too. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. such a, that's what really captured my imagination when I was younger. was just how expansive the historical totally. imagination of this, of this book is. And I really, I really feel that, uh, I guess one of the things that Geffen was interested in doing was making it kind of like gone with the wind, like this have this big mm-hmm. feeling and I and there's there's kind of moments where it looks like you know landscape painting and things like that and um, obviously there's the plant plantation connection and things like that too but yeah. I, I thought that that was a pretty interesting obviously it's nothing like gone with the wind right but aesthetically um, and just in terms of scale, Mm-hmm. um yeah. i could i could really feel that influence
1: yeah i'm but. thinking of the big shots of like uh the i mean multiple mansions plantations burning down you know mm-hmm. and it's just like just holds on the whole thing just like they're really yeah. getting the most out of their money of of those like fire effects to just be yeah. like let's see the whole thing and that really makes it feel it's, it's – it's the camera's not just up in individual people's faces. Mm-hmm. It's It's like taking in these entire scenes, which I think adds to that grandiosity.
0: Yeah. One thing that the novel – okay, there's a few key differences. One is that Claudia is five in the novel. Yeah. Which oh. is – I can see why they had to make her ten, right? And I guess the yeah, TV yeah. show she's older is what I've read. But uh, yes, she she is old enough
1: that like um, I don't think with Louis or Lestat, but she's old enough that she like wants to experience sex and goes mm-hmm. out and and has sex with someone. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Which she's she's already gone through puberty, or she's right in right in the- right. So. Um, Anne Rice wrote the novel. She wrote a short story that then became the novel after her daughter, Michelle died of leukemia. Mm-hmm. And she was interested in writing something about a blood disease, um, taking someone. And so Claudia was this kind of, um, fantasy figure of a, immortal mortal child, um, that, yeah, very, sad but interesting inspiration it would be a completely different movie obviously if if claudio was five but i just think that's worth noting and that is a pretty a pretty substantive difference um the other thing i would say that i would want to note is how much more explicit the novel is about the um the slave plantations, the the ways in which, um, Mm. Lestat is specifically like preying on, he, he's in the area and he's been going plantation to plantation and killing all, you know, feeding off of all the, the slaves. And so, um, the novel, I mean, it's very impressive, especially, uh, at the time, right? Like the way in which it is thinking about the vampire as a figure of, racial capitalism right specifically Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the u.s but the story the history of the vampire like there's lots of there's a there's a really good book by david mcnally called monsters of the market there's a lot of other great writing about this relationship between the vampire and the history of capitalism but Mm -hmm. it's thought that the vampire um you know you can kind of map the emergence of this figure onto the rise of, of capitalist development. And yeah. it starts to appear. I, I looked into this, like what was the first, like the etymology of this It was sometime in the early 1700s that there were these epidemics in Eastern Europe that they were attributing to vampires or calling it a kind of vampire disease. Um, mm-hmm. And then in literature, it was 1748. There's this German poem by Heinrich uh, August Um There are a few kind of folklores that start appearing. Um, Goethe writes about um, vampires. Um then Bram Stoker's Dracula is 1897. So that's mm. a couple decades after, or no, yeah. That's the same decade that Louis and
1: Right Claudia right. go
0: to Paris. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course, like Bram Stoker was Irish, but um it was becoming more and more part of the oh, popular shit. imaginary at the
1: time. Bram Stoker was that's that's why in that one scene, uh or, or in that one narration, Brad Pitt says like the fancies of a drunk Irishman or something like that. Right. When he exactly. talks about the the stakes and all, all the other like vampire yeah. lore. He okay, says that okay. to
0: the reporter, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cause that that had not yet come out when in any of the other periods that we're really encountering him. That makes right? sense. Okay. Um so that's interesting. And then after he leaves Paris and he goes, you know, we start to see I really love how you just watch the twentieth century unfold as films like he's sitting in the movie theater (laughs) and you're watching him like watch um it's like sunrise and nosferatu and then it turns into
1: tequila sunrise
0: that's the last film that he he comes out of at the end then it turns into like um gone with the wind the sunset that he sees and gone with the wind oh okay okay and then superman 70s, yeah superman
1: that's right, right that's right
0: and just the way in which through film he gets to see daylight and sunsets and mm-hmm, things like that mm-hmm. that's really i really love that that part um how they speed they do speed up the the story really well um but i just want to bring this up like marx had this great you know everybody talks about this when they're talking about capitalism and vampires but like this is how he described in his chapter on the working day in capital volume one, he says capital is dead labor that vampire like only lives by sucking living labor and lives the more, the more labor it sucks. The time during which the laborer works is the time during which the capitalist consumes the labor power he's purchased of him. Um, So, so creepy. He, he uses the vampire three times in that chapter, but like, you know, at that point is clearly like part of the cultural imaginary is this figure, you know? um, And that's how he describes the capitalist. So it's pretty, pretty interesting um, how Lestat is like conjuring all these things. And Louis is like, he is, he does, he does own this plantation. He is, um, Mm -hmm. but he, he has a kind of ambivalence about it. Whereas like Lestat figures this like more Properly, like bourgeois vampire, right? <laughs> Wait, Louis is or Lestat? Lestat, right?
1: Yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah, going
0: yeah. from place to place, sucking things dry, moving to the next place. You know, right, um, right.
1: Well, it this is this like connects to our theme very interestingly because yeah. this element of vampires feels very villainous, right? Like hard to argue anything else when the va- vampire as capitalist is clearly a villain, but Mm. vampire as, like, closeted or non-closeted gay person Mm. is is almost a hero in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, all these arguments about, like, what's good and what's evil and Armand telling Louis that, like, does it not make you, since you know – or, or, or maybe it's since you know the concept of good. Like, doesn't that make you good? And mm-hmm. like, if you just embraced who you were, you would be. You would at least be less happy, or you would, sorry more happy. You'd mm-hmm. at least be happier, if not necessarily less evil. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like depending on the metaphor is what determines whether the vampires are heroes or villains.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting conversation, too, because it's also about God, right? Armand mm-hmm. is like, he's an atheist, and that shakes Louis. Yeah, because Louis has this, I mean, and I did- Which, The film is not very good at elaborating, right? His his Christianity, right? But
1: Yeah. I, wow, I didn't even think about that, because he says, I rather like looking at crucifixes early mm-hmm. on. I thought it was just him being, like, kind of a creep. But yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um. It, 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 I mean, that was the element of the film that was most compelling to me was um, – The gay allegory. No. Although oh. I did like that, was the existential questions that we okay, yeah. has. These like – just like, why, I guess I know what I am, but mm-hmm. why am I? Like, why do we exist? What are we here for? This This nice little like unquenchable thirst for knowledge – the way they unquenchably thirst for blood. But it was just like, so I was just like, man, that is really fascinating. And then when Lestat is like, is like, I just turned you into a vampire. Why do you think I would have any answers? Uh, You know, I'm not like the king of vampires. And then Armand, who's the closest thing to the king of vampires is just like, I think I'm, I think I'm the oldest one. I haven't found anyone older than me. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what happened 400 years ago that made vampires happen? It's it's his his atheism is very much like uh, a confrontation to Louis. Like mm. it, there are no answers. Uh the end, you know?
0: Well, if I mean it the question of what is good and evil when you're immortal, right? Right, it's right. very interesting. If and this is, this is part of Louis's crisis: is the purpose of being good is to eventually go to heaven. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What's the good of being good anymore? Right. He, as he tells Claudia, everyone else is going to heaven except for us. Right. 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 Um, and he's not quite in hell. I mean, it's more of a purgatory. Exactly. Wouldn't yeah. you say? Yeah. Yeah but it is it is interesting, um to think about with getting back to the question of whether Brad Pitt's any good in this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right um, I do think that that is a compelling scene um with Armand and maybe the kind of like thesis moment of the whole whole film, right. Totally. Yeah. He's, he
1: tells him your evil is that you cannot be evil,
0: uh-huh. uh,
1: which definitely, I mean, definitely plays into the homoerotic stuff where it's like, yo, are you going to just deny who you are or are you going yes. to, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's think about that too. That's, that's a really interesting question um, about the nineties of this film too. I was reading this, um, chapter in this book that I really want to finish called Our Vampires Ourselves by Okay. By Nina Auerbach. Um and she's talking about like, you know, when Anne Rice writes the novel, it's it's just before AIDS or like what would be known as AIDS is mm-hmm. emergent, but um it's before the, the kind of declaration of the AIDS epidemic. Um by the nineties though, this is this really This is baggage, right? For a blood movie, right? That is Mm -hmm. also very gay. (laughs) Yeah. And so she writes, with the AIDS epidemic, blood was no longer a token of forbidden vitality, but a blight, kind of in the larger history Mm -hmm. of, of vampire literature. Once the ideology of AIDS became clear, blood could no longer be the life. Vampiricism mutated from hideous appetite to nausea. AIDS bestowed nostalgic intensity on Anne Rice's eternally young, beautiful, self-healing men whose boredom with immortality looked like a heavenly dream to young men turned suddenly moral. Um, However diminished they became, Louis and Lestat were radiant exceptions to the vampires who shriveled in a plague-stricken, newly censorious culture. I really like that, how she's thinking about like the stigma of a blood-bound disease its relation to homosexuality male homosexuality Mm -hmm. and how this really contorts that stigma in this way like um this visionary um kind of fantasy of these gay men who cannot die right
1: well and what strikes me in that quote is the nostalgia element of it. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely noticed it, you know I just wrote like nostalgia in my notes. It, maybe <laughs> maybe as like a help for like genre uh reveal stuff but like mm-hmm. it, I it's mo- like why is it nostalgic? It's just, it's nostalgic because uh Louis is nostalgic for life. You know, same with um, Claudia. They're like, "Why can't I just, you know, go back to before I was a vampire?" Mm-hmm. Um, but even their their journey toward Armand is a nostalgic journey because they're they're he's looking for meaning in the past.
0: Mm-hmm. But this is nos- in her point. It's nostalgic for a pre AIDS moment, right? Where
1: right, which I think is like. Yeah, like, why can't we go back to before we were cursed with this plague, before we knew this existed? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, I I found that really, really, really fascinating in terms of the historical specificity of this in the early 90s. It's like, the AIDS epidemic is, is becoming worse and worse, but it's also fading from you know, the political dialogue and things like that. Right, right. Um, And and so that this is precisely the moment when this film becomes makeable is really interesting thinking Mm. about, like, how through the rise of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, they were trying to figure out how the fuck to make this movie.
1: Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, like, tragedy plus time, not equaling comedy, but... Just giving you a little bit of distance in order to, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, at least in enough that the film is very much responding to what has happened to the figure of the vampire over this decade, Mm -hmm. right?
1: What do we make of the vampire since then? Because vampires have not left our public consciousness you know and and in fact have been quite popular at various points although Um,
0: there's a few people mcnally is one of them there's a few people who have really thought about like the the idea of the vampire specifically in terms of like a capitalist allegory becomes replaced in some ways by the zombie um, oh interesting sure and there's at least an overlap or something like that like zombies are per, are beginning to really proliferate by the by the end of the 90s right right i mean right there's an up uptick in the 80s i i'm so afraid of zombies for some reason i can watch any vampire thing but i cannot zombies is something else i don't know if yeah well like vampires a like also
1: that. are like cleaner they're like well dressed yes. they're they're uh <laughs> they're the earliest metrosexuals yes
0: <laughs> before when that was a we grew up yeah. in the era
1: where that was a fucking word we used sometimes totally.
0: i guess it's the fag hag in me i'm like i like vampires more <laughs> yeah, but, yeah totally totally but like, i could like, be your companion <laughs> it's also like spiders versus m- rats or something or snakes mm, you know how like mm. people have different um. They tend towards one of these, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I just can't
0: do zombies in the way I Like, I can't do rats or mice. But I'm actually totally fine with spiders.
1: Sure, sure. So how did the rat stuff in this movie affect you?
0: Ugh. Well, so I watched this movie. It's very interesting. I watched this movie, like dozens of times when i was mm. a teenager and mm-hmm. i also really liked the book i'm not i'm i am not i i, I was not goth okay but i my my best friend was and yeah. she was also really into vampires i was more into like the literariness of it mm-hmm. uh, i loved i loved anne rice's writing um and so i watched that movie a bunch of times but i hadn't yet encountered like real rats, which I in Chicago,
1: okay, oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, so my rat phobia came it it developed sometime after I watched this movie a whole bunch of mm. times, okay, and I hadn't seen it since, yeah, so it really freaked me out when I was watching it, but it wasn't something that phased me before, it was interesting, it really surprised me,
1: I kept thinking I was just like. Man, the genre of this movie—if a rat were watching it—is like mm-hmm. this is like a true crime documentary about rat serial killers.
0: Yeah, They're, well, rats and vampires are really connected too, right? Like, are they? Rats is yeah, because rats are like figures of the plague, right?
1: Okay, okay. So okay, in
0: okay. Nosferatu, there's you know this incredible the Werner Herzog version hmm Incredible rat scene. It really freaks me out just thinking about it. Okay, okay. But I gotta see it. Yeah, the connection though between vampiricism and um and plague is pretty strong, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So rats are figures of, of plague. I don't know. Totally. Yeah. I I also
1: Well, so Another sort of like dealing with the the cleanliness of and the the elegance of vampires is yes. is that Armand tells Louis that the first lesson so so he's always giving these like one rule, and I'm like, well, these are multiple one rules. he's like the one rule is you can't kill another vampire, but then right. at another time he says the first lesson is to be powerful, beautiful, and without regret uh <laughs> and it feels. Yeah, the idea of regret here. I mean, maybe that's where the nostalgia comes in as well, is just like, Louis... Because my understanding of vampires from like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something is like, you know, part part of what's tragic about these vampires is that they lose their souls. Like, they are not allowed Mm -hmm. to keep feeling, which is the opposite of what happens to Louis. Like, he feels too much. And like... I I just thought that was interesting, and and then you know after Claudia dies, he's like, that's when I felt like I would become a true vampire. Um, yeah, and, and maybe well, it's that's actually what when I'm-
0: she asks him to make Madeline, that woman she wants to be a vamp- be made yeah. into a vampire. Right?
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. Yes, that's, yes, yes. When
0: he does what Lestat did to him to Madeline. Even with her consent, because has he right?
1: made no vampires up to that no, point? No, he's never done oh, that. Oh, so interesting.
0: Yes, this moment of peopling the world with vampires, as Claudia says, right? Like right. reproducing—that's her version of reproduction that she she has access to, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow, I didn't. I didn't even put together that Louis hadn't made another vampire before i'm not sure how that like fucks up my reading of the movie it does but uh, but i don't i don't even know
0: yeah what to make of that exactly it's like he's he's um celibate or something like that or i don't know right i don't know it's very the rat thing is interesting right because he wants to he's living off the rats in order to not feed off of humans, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this figure of his denial of his own vampiricism. So that's one of my favorite Lestat moments too, with the rat that he drains into the wine glass. Oh
1: my God. That is (laughs)
0: so, yeah, so intense. So classy.
1: (laughs) Just like holding it over this like clearly like prop rat, but it's, yeah. Uh, that, that's an impressive cruise moment because it's like... It was. He, he is... um he, he, The rat looks real, like the way he's he's holding it. Yeah. But I think Pitt... One thing is I think maybe what I'm missing from Pitt's performance is the the... I'm getting the flatness on the surface. I'm not getting as much of the feeling too much bubbling underneath the torture of being the living dead uh, for him.
0: Oh my God. I just really thought about this. Do you feel like Benjamin Button is like an accidental sequel to this for him? (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe he's returning to that role and doing it a little bit better. Also meet Joe black is weird where he's like dead, right?
1: I haven't seen Meet Joe Black. Ugh, I know people love
0: it. I just saw it when it I just saw it when it came out, but there's this shocking scene in the beginning where he dies, right?
1: Right, right.
0: He's like hit by a car. And then he comes back. I think to kill Anthony Hopkins. Oh my gosh, what a weird plot. I'm pretty sure that the plot of that, maybe I should just check. The <laughs> plot of that film is like he returns from the dead to get with this woman that he just met, right? And he's going to take the soul of her father, played by Anthony Hopkins. Like Anthony Hopkins is actually who needs to die or something. Okay. Like he plays okay. death. He's He plays death yeah. in that movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm probably botching it up. And this plot... Plot summary should be short. That's the whole point of them. So curse you, Wikipedia. But he plays Death. And I uh, think at the end, he gets to have Anthony Hopkins' soul so that he can be with Anthony Hopkins' daughter. And I think that's really creepy.
1: Totally. I'm glad we're getting back to the age play stuff because I there was another like i wanted to to return in to it because it's so like the the fact that it it's so weird like they get to excuse and and make as many implications about Brad Pitt and Kirsten Dunst's relationship being romantic like that is all excused by the fact that she's immortal and actually like in her 30s to 100s so it's like right. you, you, we're just they're just given this free pass for this creepy relationship to not be so creepy that they can't even show it on screen right
0: and yeah, it there's reminded me of
1: have you seen leon the professional no 1994 so same exact year.
0: Oh. oh wait, the professional.
1: Yeah, the professional. The, yeah, 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 yeah. It's I've like, seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
0: the Natalie, the Portman. Natalie Portman role.
1: She right. is the same thing where she's like I mean, I think she's a little older, but she's like trying to seduce this older man. And I think it's she's like she's younger. Oh, is she? I thought she was yeah, like Yeah, but it's definitely 12, the maybe. same
0: moment. Yeah. Right. I, I agree with you.
1: Um, so I don't. What is there about what was there something in the water in '94 where everyone no. needed to imagine their twelve-year-old mistress or something?
0: No, I mean it's it's always a thing. It's the Lolita fantasy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, in fact, what's interesting about it is it's kind of a last gasp of that being so bold. Yeah. Okay. And she's twelve. But Natalie Portman right. is twelve, in, in the professional. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I do, I do think it's it's this. I don't think that it doesn't surprise me that they had to make the Claudia character much older in the TV show. Yeah. But I there's a lot of stuff going. I mean, I'm just gonna be parroting um, Karina Longworth's erotic '90s stuff. But the <laughs> one of the things I'm taking from her study of that um, is the way in which yeah, there's a slow decline of the Lolita figure, the erotic thriller Mm. of sexuality in general and in film. Um, And, and so there's this period in the the mid nineties where it's like, are you going to get me on this? Like there's something really provocative and enough people understand that this is fucked up, that it's, that it is risky. Whereas you look back on even 15 years earlier at like Brooke Shields, there wasn't much questioning Mm -hmm. and it's actually much worse stuff that was going on, but it is fascinating. It's 30 years ago. And I guess this was Kirsten Dunst's first kiss ever was with Brad Pitt when okay. she's ten, yeah, and she d- thought it was horrible and didn't like the <laughs> experience. Not like she's not like me, toing right, Brad right, right. Pitt on this, but I guess she didn't. She she waited many years to like kiss people after this because it kind of like ruined kissing hmm. for her. Was this experience? Yeah. So I don't know. There's something very uncomfortable about it, but um, do you think
1: it's replaced? I'm like, what was if if this sort of Lolita character and eroticism declined, what was it replaced with? And my mind, you know, because it's been the most popular thing for what feels like forever now, I go to superhero Mm -hmm. movies. And it's like, okay, so have we entered an age dominated by the most like blandly powerful heroes? And maybe this was being made in a time where, culturally we were cozying up to villains a little bit more
0: mm, I don't know I think it was just that <laughs> I, I just think it's how awareness of, of these things has built since then like that there's been so much consciousness raising about these things right that right there's a kind of eerie discomfort in revisiting a lot of films um, like the professional I haven't seen that in a long time but I'd actually be pretty Same. curious to to rewatch it um Natalie Portman was also in I think it was like one or two years after that this movie called Beautiful Girls mm which is with Timothy Hutton and he is you know an adult and he's um really obsessed with her like sexually he doesn't I don't think he does anything with her it's been a really long time since I've seen it but it's meditating on the inappropriateness of that fantasy right and so I do think we could we could do some kind of micro periodization in the 90s where it's like Mm -hmm. more and more and more. And then I think there's a there's an incline or a rise of um, more like dangerous. Kind of like poison ivy or something like that, like the Drew Barrymore movie where Mm -hmm. the Lolita figure isn't innocent because she's dangerous. And I think that's what's going on here, right? because she's a killer, because Claudia is a killer, she's not an innocent child right and so right, right it's less of it's less of a problem, right that she totally. has this and yeah, of course it it's hellish. I remember being young and and thinking about being trapped and like having having Oof. a conscious you know becoming a genius and like Developing like desire and things like that, trapped in a five-year-old's body. In the Oof. novel, it's very painful.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, that's the yeah. the scene where you discover that she has like kept the Creole woman in her <laughs> in her bed underneath the dolls. Is like bleh, bleh, bleh,
0: that's so disgusting right. because she's she becomes obsessed with wanting to have that body having a an adult body right very, right
1: and it's now yeah. that i'm thinking about it, it's kind of interesting that that body is trapped under all of these dull bodies. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah um i don't know but, i can we talk about like the
1: purgatory aspect enough because yeah. i because i do you know on a personal level i did relate to this movie as someone who was in a coma for a month uh mm-hmm. nine nah nine years ago at this point are we oh we are so I'm always aware of it won't be when this episode is released, but the coma was october like twenty second through November fourteenth and so I'm wow. always aware of like i'm November living 14th. I'm living in the time period where I had no consciousness nine years ago, you know wow. And, uh, and, and the thing about that, that, I I mean, I don't have any like memories from the coma. So it's not like I was like being in there and I'm like, you know, the, the, the conscious, I don't have no conscious experience of being in a coma feeling like vampiric, but I do have the experience with, and I think a lot of people can relate to this of like, when you are touched by death, Mm -hmm. you are kind of cursed with this knowledge that makes it that makes certain things difficult, and I hear people talk about it with like parents a lot. Like once a parent dies, I've been fortunate enough not to experience that. But like, um, yeah, I was I, I was talking with a friend just yesterday visiting Chicago about um comedy careers and and like choices and and decide you know how you decide when to do certain things and how I just feel incapable of doing the, the standard thing in comedy, which is like developing like small sets that then become longer sets. And maybe your first special is kind of an introduction of yourself. And then once you've got a little fan base, you can start going deeper. I just am like, I could literally die tomorrow I want to talk about the stuff I want to talk about, like, now. And if that means that I'm not going to resonate with as many people because I haven't done the, like, getting to know you stuff yet, then so be it. But at least I will have, like, expressed the thing I want to express in the moments that I want to express them. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Curious if you have any thoughts about that sort of purgatory or the, the curse of... Yeah, knowing death in some sort of visceral way.
0: Um, yeah, I'm just feeling, feeling haunted, feeling it's in the shadows. I think that that's that's part of what this like the figure of the vampire really taps into, right? Um, I have been impacted by death. I do feel there is a sense that. I mean, obviously, everybody's been impacted by death. Sure, but, sure. But sudden deaths or unexpected deaths, you know, which mm-hmm. I think are a, a different kind of character. And if you're lucky, most of the deaths that happen, there's time to prepare for, um, right. I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, that scene where there's the theater of vampires that Armand has created, Mm -hmm. um, it's like a front basically for these vampires in Paris. And he says to, they, they bring on like a human and, and, um, and drain her in front of an audience that thinks it's, it's theater. right? Right. Um, every night. And he says to her, no pain. And, um, I don't know. I found that very chilling. Mm -hmm. Right. That is the thing about death is that it's the pain of others. Right. It's not right. We won't, you won't feel it. Like what you're saying about, that's the thing about your story that I'm always struck by is like you, you had no idea. And then you just wake up. Right. It's November 14th. Yeah. All this stuff is happening around you, but it's not your pain.
1: Right, my pain like just, I, I say that in my first show actually is that like that's like waking up is when my pain started, you know. Right, and weirdly that's when other people started to end. It's like, especially you know, the further away people were from me, it's like, oh well, Dave's alive. Oh, and he's mm-hmm. got he doesn't seem to have brain damage. Oh, man, phew. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, and it's like, it, and it's easy to feel very lonely in that. Moment because you know, especially because I was a lot closer to the nuke, the nucleus of the Chicago comedy scene at that point, had all these people eulogize me on Facebook, and then you know, wrongly expected that level of attention to continue for the rest of my life. It's like, oh, I'm gonna be a little Facebook celebrity forever, but and and this is something i know people have cuz i've heard people who have kids talk about it about how mm-hmm. like everyone's there at the beginning and then 3 months in when you really need help yeah. with a meal or something people just disappear you know and yeah. that has been a barometer for me and it i've still done it since i woke up but i do try to be aware of like okay am i a person who Needs to show up for this person right now, Mm. or like, do I want to be a person who shows up for this person right now? Um, and I and I really relate to the existential stuff too, because Louis is just like crying out, he's just like, Why is this, you know, why is this happening to me? Yeah, and and in that play, Armand says to the the Victim, uh the you know, the human who's about to be turned into a vampire. He's basically like, You're gonna die eventually, so why not just do it now? Like, yeah. what and 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 get this gift that I'm about to give to you. And like that was the thing that I felt when I woke up. I was like, Oh shit. Well, everyone already eulogized me. I know the kind of person that the world like took me as. I'm going to die for real someday. And that was where my panic set in because I was just like – I felt like a weird like puppet. I was just like – so I'm just supposed to go through the motions of a life when the jury has already ruled on what my life is? Yeah. Between now and death, it just felt very – and that's the part that feels very alone, feels very vampiric, feels very Mm – you want to resist, but you don't even know exactly what to resist.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, but you've redefined yourself quite a bit since then. Yeah, so for sure. Your eulogy would be totally different, and it'd be smaller. There wouldn't be as many people. <laughs> like I've like
1: no. No, 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 no. It's it's okay. I think uh, it would be more diverse as well. There'd be like more people yeah. from different pockets of life. But um, yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, I, I don't know where to go with that observation, but that just felt very um, – that was, like, personally the place that I could, like, really – and I think that's why the back half of the movie really picked up for me. Because early when – I mean, Lestat is an amazing character, but when Louis is just, like, growing bored of Lestat, I'm like, okay, well, I can only, like, watch someone be bored for so long. And then it turns into this like existential sort of inquiry. And I'm like, okay, this I'm fucking here for, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting to think about how all of this really was generated from um, Anne Rice's grief of her daughter. Yeah, And I think as you were talking, I was thinking a lot about, Yeah, like when my, when my best friend killed himself, it was like, yeah, his pain was over. And, Mm -hmm. but then he passed that pain in some way, like, whatever. I know that this is, this is something that, that people struggle with when they have, have somebody kill themselves like that. Um, not being angry or resentful towards them you know yeah. um because it in a lot of ways it is like very selfish you know and, mm-hmm. and it also comes from a place of not not knowing the impact you have on others right um but you would hope that if someone knew the impact it would have that they would be able to you know seek seek some help right And i i the compassion in me, like, really comes from a place of knowing that, like, he really didn't know that this would, yeah, that this would unleash so much harm, you know? But, mm-hmm. um, but it does feel like being infected, right? Like, totally. I have a lot of, I already have intrusive thoughts, but I, I have like flashbacks often of him you know, and things like that. And I'll probably never, they'll probably never go away, you know? Totally. Um, and they're like less frequent, but they're just, they're always there. They're a part of me. They're inside of me, you know? I do feel like there's this um, interesting way in which it's about grieving, you know, this whole story grieving one's life but living through that at the same time like that's this bizarre situation that that louis is grappling with right and that claudia grows to understand her own situation to be
1: well and it also strikes me that the major difference between the vampire version of that narrative and Mm -hmm. ours is that we're cursed with mortality and they're cursed by immortality. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's a pretty fascinating movie. So this was the first time that you'd ever seen it?
1: First time I'd ever seen it. Yeah. I, I didn't really know what to expect. It. I had in my mind this whole movie took place in one bedroom with a four-poster bed with like with like lacy curtains hanging down from it. I it, it was mm. it was not as dynamic, not as violent, not as uh I don't know why. I don't know why I have this image of that. Something about like the poster. Um yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh but
0: but that was my image of this movie. Very much not at all. I mean that, yeah. that what we were talking about, it's not a contained movie at all. I mean it's just no. so expansive. And- totally rich with scenery and i i love that about about watching it and again i'm so glad that i i found out about the influence of gone with the wind because it really
1: mm-hmm.
0: was hitting was <laughs> it while i was watching it but um yeah i don't know i think uh the claudia the claudia character is um it's so fascinating to think of her as a kind of locust of the narrative, at least for Rice, right? Like, that it started yeah. with this idea about her, right? And that these other characters emerged around that. Right. Especially because um, she
1: doesn't come into the movie for the first, like, half of it almost. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, like, yeah. Yeah. For a long time. So, I don't time. know. Yeah. A long time. A long time. So, I don't know. I'm really upset with, um, Stephen Ray, or not Stephen Ray, excuse me, Neil Jordan. Stephen Ray is pretty interesting. You know who's in the IRA? His wife was too. He's no. like, And that was also part of The Crying Game. I, I definitely recommend watching it. It's like okay. a very interesting film about Irish politics. Um, okay. Even though it has this other kind of plot that everybody knows about mm-hmm. attached to it. Um, or do you know about it?
1: I don't know about it. It's a, you, yeah.
0: I'm not going to say anything, but okay. I really hope that you watch okay. that movie and don't okay. read anything about it. But it's a, it's a very, it's a really compelling movie. And to think about it as the film before in Jordan's yeah. filmography is, is amazing. And then the movie that he did afterwards was Michael Collins, which is also like about, you know, Irish political history. Mm. and, um. So why so, are you pissed at him? I found out that he wrote, he was one of the signatories on that, like, 2009 um, open letter defending Roman Polanski. Oh, damn. I found that out after watching it this uh, this time around, uh, interview with the vampire this time around, and then I had this kind of weird, like, I don't know, I call them, like, Kaiser Sose moments, you know, where mm-hmm, it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. like, everything goes back, but about Claudia and... I don't know.
1: Yeah, that sucks.
0: Inappropriate relationships or non-conventional relationships are definitely a, a huge trope for Jordan. Um, mm. And I do, I don't think we can settle this issue, but I, I think you're right that right. we're not supposed to think too much about it because we know that Claudia is in fact older, and
1: it's right. supposed
0: to justify Dunst's body, these type, you know, yeah. the weirdness of that. Um but I don't know. And there's that scene with Armand. So Armand and Claudia's rivalry is also very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. That they are fighting over Louis. And yeah. the Armand insists, like, that she's his lover. That she's Louis's lover. Right. And Louis, like, No, my daughter he says, no, my beloved. Mother. Yeah. And then he then he corrects then he says in my beloved, which is like a combination of right, the daughter right, right. lover. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um yeah, I don't I don't really know what to do beyond just like observing that, but I think it would we would regret not just you know, naming that that's unfinished yeah. business about this film. Right.
1: Totally. <laughs> but yeah.
0: yeah, I found the Polanski connection disturbing not to like overly psychologize his his decisions around Claudia, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Dangerous territory. I mean, I don't know. 2009 is a long time ago. Maybe people change. Hopefully people grow. I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's tough.
0: I mean, 2009 is not that long ago to be, saying that somebody who raped and drugged a 13-year-old girl should be able to return to the United States and not be tried as a criminal yeah you know? yeah totally <laughs> totally i <laughs> not mean not that there was a time when we can say that, that was well right i'm just i'm just saying it's enough
1: time for anyone to, to change, change their, their opinion about something yeah
0: or to have taken a further hard right turn
1: hey in the, sure
0: in that timeline It could go that way much more easily, I think.
1: Did Neil Jordan direct that? What was that QAnon movie that was in theaters recently? (laughs) Oh,
0: in fact, yes. He directed the QAnon film. (laughs) No, he didn't. Freedom,
1: like The Price of Freedom (laughs) or something like that? Oh, God. I haven't seen it. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, I know. I know all about it. But um, no, the last thing he did was Marlowe. Um. Just like a neo noir. Okay. With uh, Liam Neeson. Okay. Okay. I don't know. He hasn't done much in the la- in in those years. Since then, he's just done a few. One with Colin Farrell the year that he signed that letter, Ondine. But, um, he's had some good movies. I don't know if you've seen Breakfast on Pluto. No. Um, it's with Killian Murphy as a trans woman.
1: No, I haven't seen that.
0: Um, and the end of the affair is also very good with, um, Julianne Moore and Ray Fiennes.
1: Hmm. So, okay. Some yeah. This,
0: recommendations.
1: These are a bunch of like, uh, you know, sound of freedom is the name of the movie I was looking for. I had to look, I had to look it up. Um, the, These are very like movie store movies to me. These sort of like blockbuster, like like Bridge to Terabithia, or like (laughs) just I don't know, just these sort of like four or five word titles that are kind of flowy and poetic. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's true. It's true. But please do watch the Crying Game. Okay. Let's follow up on it.
1: Okay. Okay, Um, all right. Should we, are we in genre reveal territory?
0: I'm feeling it, although we haven't, like, really hit on many genre questions. Maybe we should say before that, that, you know, part of the thing is you can watch this as very campy. You can watch Mm -hmm. this as horror. You can watch it as a kind of comedy or a meta-comedy about these Hollywood men. You can watch it as, like, a historical drama. There's lots of kind of options It kind of sits in the middle of these things don't you think
1: oh absolutely and there's one moment that's pure comedy to me which is when she when kirsten dunst has drained the piano teacher and Mm -hmm. tom cruise comes in and sits next to her and just like bumps the dead piano teacher off the piano bench and he like slumps and hits the ground very like weekend at bernie's just like slapstick comedy i'm like what is this movie
0: like what is happening right now
1: but i really enjoyed uh yeah i enjoyed that that part
0: there's some moments of like musicality like i mentioned the fred astaire vampire Mm -hmm, but like yeah mm -hmm. stephen ray has this like wonderful dance sequence where he like dances on a ceiling right or hanging from a ceiling yeah um it has like kind of carnivalesque moments you know especially with the the vampire theater and things. So it, but I think it, it moves really beautifully between those registers. It doesn't feel like jarring. No, I mean, it's pretty
1: masterfully no. Done. Yeah. It's yeah. very, it's very consistent, which is weird. Like, because I do like a lot of the, like these kinds of movies that are so, uh, genre fucked in that way. Like I really, mm-hmm. Like and appreciate, and even kind of like the jarringness in some Mm -hmm. ways. Like, Ravenous is the example that I think of the 99 Mm. movie, which is so many different things jutted up against each other. And it's so weird and it's so imperfect that it's almost perfect to me. So, in some ways, there's like a sheen to interview with the vampire that is like a little hard for me to permeate. Like, it's so all blended together. That it just feels like this epic story, but absolutely the threads are very clear of of mm-hmm. what is being sewn together.
0: Because sometimes when we're doing our genre reveal, it's like, okay, this movie thinks it's X, but in right. fact it's Y. Right. And I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make a case like that here. It's more just that it invites you to ask the question of its genre, and that's yes. What's Compelling about it. Okay, so what's your what's your genre? Uh, you my Jean is your um... <laughs> I used to have a I used to have a teacher who would um, one of my grad school professors would say like specific words in French and that was one of them and he would just you know, be talking blah 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 blah, blah. and the Jean, and oh
1: my god,
0: the first day I figured it out after the first day, but I have in my in this notebook like J O H N question mark, uh, <laughs> like, uh, 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 <laughs> like who is this John that he keeps talking about? Then I realized that he was talking about genre.
1: Wow, that is maybe we should do that now though. Jean reveal,
0: Jean reveal,
1: yeah okay um my my genre that i settled on is trapped in the coffin and Mm -hmm. this is this is a heady a heady thing because i wanted something that combined the existential questions the homoerotic stuff and i was like is it something is it a coming out movie is it a Something or is it actually kind of in the closet in some way, and then because I thought of in the closet, I thought of the R. Kelly like twenty whatever part song trapped Ooh. in the closet I uh, know, yeah. as, okay. as as speaking of. but then I was like okay i it, it's it's a weird now I'm referring to a thing that's outside of the movie, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. I still feel trapped in the coffin, gets the vampire, gets the deadness, gets the closetedness, and gets the existential trap that Louis mm-hmm. feels caught in and Claudia to a lesser extent. So, mm-hmm. trapped Probably. in the coffin. That's what I'm
0: going with. Okay. Um so my genre is I think that the movie reveals its genre in a particular scene, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is the scene of the the vampire theater. Um and Louis so as he's watching this and figuring out what what's going on on stage, he turns to Claudia and he says, vampires who pretend to be vam excuse me, vampires who pretend to be humans, pretending to be vampires. And then Claudia goes, how avant-garde. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm not going to include her response, mm-hmm. but I think vampires who pretend to be humans, pretending to be vampires is exactly what this film is. Um, and that that is what it is specifically trying to say about the Hollywood male sex symbol.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that because you get the sort of meta meta commentary in there of, right. If we're, if we're going to push the, the metaphor to its limit, it's like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt are the real life vampires Yes. Who are pretending to be these characters, Louis and Lestat, who then become vampires within the movie. Lestat, before the movie exactly. starts. But yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. exactly. Celebrities pretending long, to yeah. be
1: people pretending to be celebrities or, or something like that.
0: So before, like, Birds Aren't Real, I had this joke tom cruise isn't real and it hasn't picked up <laughs> nobody cares about this joke but i insist it's funny and that's how i feel about tom cruise yeah there was some point where he became
1: like ai or something right 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 who's the like there are celebrities yeah. like that that have those conspiracy theories that have picked up about them like who's
0: the yeah, like oh, I think was he it? died in a stunt, you know, and that they replaced right. him with this right. Tom, like Scientologists, right? Like the Church of Scientology. They replaced mm-hmm. him at some point with this yeah. Tom Cruise who is now, like, you know, strapped with a rope to an airplane and, like, stuff like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I dig don't it. think he's a real man. So.
1: I can tell you my unrelated joke that has not picked up. Um, okay, because other people's opinions of Lacroix really bother me the sparkling water oh, you mean
0: Lacroix?
1: yeah, yeah Lacroix Jean Jean. Jean. <laughs> what Jean of Lacroix Lacroix do you want <laughs> um but yes. uh but people like literally if you look up like Lacroix on Twitter, you can see people just be like, there's this formula for how people describe it. It's like it's like, what is this shit? It's just like. A ghost farted a strawberry. It's just like faint thing plus fruit. So it's like, it's like a berry wandered down the hall, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, and it bothers me so much. And I'm not like a huge LaCroix fan. I just think it's like, it's good. It's fine. And so to mm-hmm. me, the correct opinion of LaCroix is that it is just fine. And I think this is very funny. I think this is like, I think it's funny to like insist on nuance around, uh, uh, a, like a soda water. I would respond to people on Twitter with this and they would get so mad to be like, who are you to say with the correct? And I'm like, well, actually, um, the, the, the sparkling water, uh, police did tell me that. Uh, I'm I'm deputized to. Who are these tell her people? This. It's just Who are so these it people
0: just, you're tangling with.
1: I know it's just strangers. I'm disturbed.
0: It's, it's when I was. Are you doing yeah. that? What's your new drink though? Are you still drinking it? Oh yeah. Your, oh my. <laughs> are you still?
1: <laughs> no, I ha- I did not order. Okay. I didn't get the what was it? Ghost Energy, P- Sour Patch Kids, Blue Raspberry drink. Yeah, no, no, no. So I don't know if folks can like. Here, if they feel like I'm off, it's because I didn't. I didn't have my blue raspberry. He hasn't fed ghost energy today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the ghost energy too. Wow, that's a wow. Opportunity yes, that we did. Oh not my god, I
1: didn't even did think uh, about it.
0: All right, we got to retape this. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, uh, we. Uh, yeah, I guess you won't hear this, but uh, thanks for listening anyway.
0: <laughs> I like the idea that we're taping it. Sorry, I yeah. aged myself.
1: No, that's good um i yeah i i i'm i'm good if you're good
0: i'm i'm great it was fun to talk about this movie yeah um we didn't talk about scientology at all but maybe next time
1: other people have talked about scientology
0: john travolta was also going to be Lestat. did scientology like have some money in this movie or
1: something right 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 okay i don't know i like that
0: next time
1: (laughs) um next time on scientology reveal party well thanks for listening we will we'll talk to you next week
0: see you then or not because it's a podcast <laughs> <laughs>